I'm going to be preaching this morning a topical sermon, which is something I don't usually do. So I think that gives me a little freedom to... Um, well, I'm going to be in a text to be able to go out of the text a bit as well. Um, topical sermons are a good change of good change of diet every now and then. Um, I know your pastor does a lot of expositional preaching, working his way through books of the Bible. So I'm going to mix it up for you and do a topical sermon on the subject of evangelism. Subject of evangelism. How are you at evangelism? Ooh. Some, some of us are better than others. Some of us are, are really good at being out there sharing the gospel. A bunch of us are a little more... Um, it's a little harder for us to do. Why, why is it that for some of us, I think many of us, evangelism is a challenge? Why do you think that is? I've often thought about this, asked myself that question. Uh, my, my family... We, we moved to Dubai in order to be evangelists. Dubai is a unique city. It's a city of 2 million people, and 90% of the people there are from other nations. It's a great place to do evangelism because there's people from over 200 nations gathered in one city. And, and everybody you meet is from somewhere else, and they have some other religious background. And, and all things considered, it's a pretty easy place to do evangelism. You just have to ask somebody, what, what is it that you believe? Who do you believe in? And you're instantly in a conversation that can very easily go to the gospel and to evangelism. And it's not taboo to talk about religion there. People are curious to find out, what is it that you believe? Who is the God that you, that you believe in? But we still find that it's often a challenge for us to evangelize. Why is that? I prepared this sermon, I think, to, to tease out my own heart a bit and, and also to challenge myself afresh with the need to evangelize. The gospel is good news. It's a, it's a good message. We have been entrusted with good news. And, and what are we to do with good news? Well, what do you do when, when you have good news? You share it. You share it, that's right. You tell anybody that will listen. Why is it a challenge? Well, what I, what I want to do this morning is to encourage all of us with this, um, uh, with our calling to evangelize by going right to the Great Commission. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to spend a bunch of our time this morning right there in Matthew chapter 28, looking at the Great Commission. And the, the question I'm going to be asking this morning is a question for us to challenge us again. Is the Great Commission really for us? I know when it comes to evangelism, I'm often thinking my flesh is coming up with excuses to not evangelize. Do you ever do, you ever do that? Come up with excuses? I'm actually really good at making excuses. And sometimes when it comes to evangelism, I, I think of little excuses to excuse myself from sharing the gospel with this person in front of me. Evan- maybe excuses like, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's an excuse I use. Or not very good at it. It's awkward sometimes. Um, or I had a professor in college who said that the Great Commission actually wasn't for us. It was just for the apostles, and so we didn't have to worry about the Great Commission because it was for these other people who originally got it. I disagree with that professor. And in order to encourage you that the Great Commission is for us, 
we're going to be asking that question. Is, is the Great Commission out of commission? Is it obsolete? I'm going to conclude no, but I just want to work through the Great Commission to encourage you that no, that the Great Commission is for us, and it is for today. And we're going to start by just reading this passage, Matthew 28, 16-20, and then looking at the four parts of this Great Commission. Let me start by just reading this this morning. Matthew 28, 16-20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, that is Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me open us with one more word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us in the dark about who you are and about who we are and about how it is that we can live our lives before you in love. We pray that as we, as we think this morning about your great commission, that you give us wisdom and eyes to see the truth, that you give us hearts that would be lit again with um, the importance of this calling to share this good news to the whole world. We pray that you by your Spirit, would be giving us eyes to, to be applying this truth to our lives today and tomorrow and this week. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at the Great Commission, I want you to, to see how the Great Commission breaks down into four parts. And what we have here is four alls. Four alls. Did you see them there as, as I read it? starts by Jesus saying that he has all authority in verse 19. Then he says that they are to go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says that as they're discipling people from all nations, that they are to be teaching them to obey all of his commands. And then he says that he is with them always to the end of the age. It's the same word in Greek. It's translated a little differently based on the context. Um, But these four alls break down this Great Commission really, really nicely. And I'm going to work through these four alls really quickly at the beginning so that we have a sense for what the Great Commission is. It starts, number one, with all authority. All authority. The Great Commission is based... On the fact that Jesus has all authority. That's the the foundation of the Great Commission. Jesus declares, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven, all authority on earth has been given to him. Why does Jesus have authority? We could answer that in, in many ways. Because he's God. God himself. Second person of the Trinity. And as God, he has all authority. He also has authority because... The Father, the first person of the Trinity, has given him all authority. He says that many places in the Gospels. The Father has given all authority to him. The Gospel writer Matthew gives us another reason. This is the very end of the book of Matthew. If you flip back to the very beginning of the book of Matthew, you get in verse 1, 
the, the disciple Matthew kind of tipping his hand about why it is that Jesus has all authority. Do you see what Matthew 1 verse 1 says? This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus has all authority because he is the son of David and the son of Abraham. God had made a promise to David that David's line and his kingdom would be established forever, that there would always be someone on David's throne that would rule. What Matthew was saying here at the beginning is that Jesus is that son of David, that, that descendant in David's line that has the right to rule. 2 Samuel 7, God gives this promise to David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, the throne of his kingdom forever. And then in 2 Samuel 23, um, David says that God has made with me an everlasting covenant. He has ordered in all things and secured it. So Jesus has authority because he is this promised Messiah King who will reign forever. And how does he use his authority? Well, he sends his subjects as a king on a mission. And what is that mission? Well, the second part of the Great Commission is that they would make disciples of all nations. Jesus has all authority. He tells them to make disciples of all nations. This is the essence of the Great Commission. His authority is the foundation. Making disciples of all nations is the essence of the Great Commission. Jesus has spent the last three and a half years making disciples. And now he sends those disciples to go and to do the same. What is a disciple? Disciple is a learner, a student, a follower. Jesus' disciples had followed him. They had learned from him about how to live life about how to obey the Father. And now, they were called to imitate Him, not by making personal disciples, disciples of Matthew or disciples of Peter, no, but to make more disciples of Jesus, followers that would follow Jesus like they had already done. And it was always God's plan to bless the whole world, to bless all nations. Not just the Jews, not just Israel. Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, the last thing that he says when he calls out Abraham and makes to him a bunch of promises, the last thing that he says is, and through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. It was always God's plan to bless all nations. In Isaiah 49, God says this to Israel, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That was always God's plan to save people from the ends of the earth. So, foundation of the Great Commission is Jesus' authority. The essence of the Great Commission is making disciples of the nations. The third part is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's it's all of Jesus' commands. All commands. This is the content of the Great Commission. This is the, the content that they were to be teaching as they made disciples. Teaching the disciples to obey King Jesus. 
Jesus commands are God's words. And God's word, as 1 Peter 1 says, is imperishable. God's word is living. It's active. It's abiding. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So they are to be teaching these disciples the words of Jesus, the commands of Jesus that abide. 1 John 5.3 says that his commands are not burdensome. It is the joy of God's people to do God's will. It is the joy of Jesus' disciples to do the will of Jesus. James 1, verse 25, calls Jesus' law the law of liberty. It's a freedom-giving law. We are to free people to be able to obey Jesus, which is what we were created to do, and to find freedom in living life in God's presence. Loving Him, being loved by Him, and delighting to do His will. That's the third part, all commands. The fourth part of the Great Commission is always, or literally in Greek, all the days, or for all time. The Great Commission is sustained by Jesus' continual presence and power. This is the promise of the Great Commission. He sends them out, make disciples, teach them to obey me. But then he says this at the end. He gives them a promise. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus doesn't send his disciples off to complete this task by themselves. Go do it. I'll see you at the end of the age. No, he says, make disciples and I'm going to be with you all along the way. Um, He promises to be with them, to support them, to assist them, to empower them to do his work. My daughter, Samantha, is two and a half and she's very aware where her parents are at all times. She's getting more and more aware. And she now, she, she knows my, my tells. She knows when it is that I'm getting ready to leave. She'll see me in the morning on a work day, getting my tea, getting my, my coffee, getting my bag, putting my computer in my bag, and she's starting to be aware that Dad's getting ready to go. And she'll wander over and say, Daddy, Daddy, go now? You, you going to go now, Daddy? I'll say, yes, Sam, Daddy's got to go to work. Just say, okay. Mommy, stay here. (laughs) Say, yes, yes, mommy's going to stay here, Sam. She'll say, okay. Sam will stay here, too. (laughs) Um, At at night, often my wife will do the groceries on her own once I'm home and kids are in bed. so She doesn't have to drag our two kids along with her while she shops. And if Sam is watching her get ready to go, pack her purse, she'll say, mommy going to go now? My wife will say, yes, Sam, Mom, Mom's going to go. And she'll say, Dad, Daddy, stay here. So yes, Daddy's going to stay here. She'll say, okay, Sam will stay here too. She just always wants one of us to be there so that she knows that she's safe. She doesn't like date night because on date night we both leave and then she's not very happy about it. Sometimes she cries. Um, Jesus didn't leave his disciples alone. He didn't abandon them. He didn't just walk out and leave them on their own. No, he sent them the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he actually said in the Upper Room Discourse, you should be glad that I'm going because when I leave, I'm I'm sending you the Spirit who's going to comfort you and encourage you and help you to do the things that I'm calling you to do. The Holy Spirit is called in the New Testament the Spirit of Christ. 
And as Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, in the church age, the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. He dwells in all Christians. He gives us power. And He is the proof of our eternal life. God's promise to always be with us and to never forsake us. The Holy Spirit is here. He's in us as believers. And He gives us the help and the strength to do His will. So this is the Great Commission for all foundation is the fact that Jesus has all authority. The essence is the call to make disciples of all nations. The content is teaching the disciples to obey all of Christ's commands. And the promise is Christ's continual presence sustaining us for all time. That's this simple great commission. So since this is a a topical sermon, you'll, you'll give me the freedom to do two quick jumps through the Bible. Let's jump now to the end of the Bible, to Revelation. And look at a couple of verses. And look at where we're going at at the end. God's sent us on this mission. Jesus has sent his disciples on a mission. Where is this mission heading? Where is it going? Well, Revelation chapter 7 gives us a view of the end. A perspective from the end of time. In Revelation 7, we have a picture of where all of time is heading going to look look at verses 9 through 12 this um, vision that the apostle john is given he says after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So there is a view of the end. God's plan is to have A holy people for himself, gathered from all the peoples of the earth, from every language, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and united, a united and holy people collected from the diversity of people throughout the world that would be his people with him forever. And that vision from the end of time is the same picture given to us for the church. Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 6. It says that when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this mystery was something that was hidden and later revealed that God had a plan to bring together a diversity of people that would be one body, the church. It's God's plan to bring them together to be in His presence with Him for all time. It's a view from the end. Really quickly, let's jump to the book of Acts and get a view from the beginning. What, what did the disciples of Jesus do in those first days? 
New Testament says that the that the apostles laid a, a foundation foundation for the church. What did these early apostles do with this great commission? Well, they these apostles start preaching the gospel. Many people are saved. Acts chapter 2 says 3,000 are saved on that first day when the Holy Spirit comes. These new disciples devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Chapter 2, verse 42, which is Jesus' commands handed down to those apostles. But a really interesting thing happens. It isn't just the leaders that take this gospel. It isn't just the apostles that are preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 8, verse 4 what we see is persecution comes into the Jerusalem church. They're getting kind of comfortable there in Jerusalem. They're maybe getting a little amnesia about what they're supposed to do with this message. And so God brings persecution to the church and the church is scattered. People start to leave Jerusalem as they're persecuted. They don't pack it in. They pack up and they start going and spreading out. And the amazing thing is that as the church is scattered... Acts 8, verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It wasn't just the pastors, it wasn't just the preachers, it wasn't just the apostles, but those that were scattered were preaching the word where they went. It was all Christians doing this work. It was all Christians taking part in this great commission. It was all Christians sharing this good news to those that they came across. So we have a view from the end. This mission is, will be accomplished. A view from the beginning. All Christians are sharing this message. So, is this great commission obsolete? Is it out of commission? Let me give you four really quick reasons why it isn't. And how we should think of this great commission as Christians. Those four reasons are back to those four alls. I think right from the great commission itself, we have four good reasons that the Great Commission isn't out of commission. First of all, the foundation of this Great Commission, the fact that King Jesus has all authority. Does Jesus still have authority? Well, yes, he's still the king on the throne. The Great Commission is a command. It's an edict from a king. And when a king hands down an edict... How long is that edict in effect? As long as that king is alive. As long as that king still has authority. Or as long as he doesn't change that command. Well, Jesus hasn't changed the command. It's here. He hasn't died. He's still alive. And he hasn't lost power. He still has authority. He's still on his throne. And as long as a king has authority, his edicts have weight and have power. So, is the Great Commission out of commission? Well, no. It's based on Jesus' authority. He still has that authority, and so his commands are still in effect. Number two, we are to make disciples of all nations is what the command is. simple question we can ask of this second part is, did the apostles complete the mission? Did they finish the job? Maybe we could say, well, if they finish the job, then it's finished and we don't have to worry about it. Well, no, they, they started it. They started taking the gospel 
to other nations, but they didn't finish it in that first generation. According to Romans 15, Paul had plans to go to nations that he never got to. He had plans to go to Spain. He told the the Roman Christians, I'm going to Jerusalem. I need to take this love offering to these struggling poor Christians back in Jerusalem. And then I'm hoping to come to Rome and through you to go on to Spain. Well, Paul gets arrested in Jerusalem. He makes it to Rome, but then he's beheaded and he doesn't finish his plans. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. According to this verse, the end will come after the gospel is preached throughout the whole world. Has the end come yet? No. Has it been preached to all nations? Well, I think we can assume no. The job isn't finished yet. Number three, a a third reason this Great Commission is not absolute. It says to teach them to observe all commands. Teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded them. Well, is the Great Commission a command of Jesus? Yes. It's the last command of Jesus. And we should, we should assume that his last command has as much weight as his first command. Maybe even more so. If Jesus says to teach the disciples everything that I've commanded you, it, those commands have to include that last command to make disciples of all nations. It doesn't preclude it. If that's true, then that last command, the Great Commission, is for us as well as fellow followers of Jesus. And a fourth reason, Jesus promises to be with his disciples through all of the days, through all time, to the very end of the age, assisting them. Well, did the apostles live to the end of the age? This promise is that he would be with them to the end of the age. Did the apostles live to the end of the age? No, they, they died pretty early on, and we're still in that age. If he promises to be with his disciples to the end of the age, and the end of the age hasn't come yet, then that means that this command is for us, fellow disciples of Jesus. That promise is for us as well. And all disciples from the original apostles until the end of time, this command, this great commission, is for all of the disciples of Jesus to do what we can to take the gospel to all nations. So, if that's true, how should we look at the Great Commission? How should we view it? One more time, let's work through these four alls. All authority, Jesus says, I have all authority. How how should we view that statement that Jesus has all authority? Well, it should give us confidence. Confidence that he's not going to send us on a failed mission. He says, I have all authority. Go. And what that means is we can have confidence that our work will not be in vain. That God is going to accomplish his plans to save people from every nation. The second part, making disciples of all nations. How should we view this as Jesus' disciples? Well, it should give us a bigger outlook, a a global perspective. We can often... As Christians, be small-minded in our perspective. We think of ourselves, our homes, our group of friends, maybe our church, maybe the, the city that we live in. A command like this to make disciples of all nations should give us 
a bigger picture vision. God has plans for the whole world, and we, as His disciples, should should begin to foster a vision for the whole world as well. A vision for nations that have not yet heard this gospel, have not yet heard this message. The, the Israelites fell into this temptation to think that God was just about them and their little small world. Jesus was always challenging them that he was about much more than just their own little city of Jerusalem. The third part, this, this command to teach them to obey all of Christ's commands, well, that should give us humility as we preach the gospel. Realizing it's not about us. It's about someone else. It's about Jesus. It's not just about some local God. It's about the God of heaven and earth. This Jesus who has authority over all of the universe and all of creation. And realizing that we are just communicating a message about everyone's God. And the Savior of anyone who would believe. should give us a self-forgetfulness as we share this message, this good news. And this fourth part, this promise of Jesus' presence for all time, well, that promise should comfort us. It should give us comfort. He's promised to go with us. We're not alone. We should have peace as we entrust the results of our evangelism to God, realizing that He's He's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who is the king. And he's the one who will accomplish his purposes. It's his message on our lips, not ours. It's not our ideas. It's his power that works through us. And when he uses us, he gets all of the glory. Last question, as we think about this Great Commission, is how should we go about seeking to obey the Great Commission today? What should we do with this? had a bunch of thoughts about the Great Commission, a bunch of thoughts about what it is and what it should mean for us. But let's get really practical. Let's do what we can to think about applying this to our lives. We can spend a lot of time thinking about the Great Commission and thinking about evangelism and not really doing anything about it. Well, we've looked at a big picture vision of God's plan. We don't want to stay in the clouds. I think that we are called to be obeying this Great Commission in at least two ways. At least two ways today. Individually and corporately. Individually and corporately. You as a person, as an individual, and you together as a church. Let's start individually. God has sovereignly placed you, Christian, in a unique situation. He's put you at a unique place in time, a unique place in history. He's put you in a family. He's put you in a, a city. He's put you maybe in a school, maybe in a job. He's put you in a network of relationships. And he calls you where you are, wherever you are, to share the gospel with those that you know, with those that are around you. You've been entrusted with good news about a savior for sinners. And you have an opportunity to be, 1 Peter 2, a royal priest representing God to men. And we do this through evangelism and discipleship. 
says to make disciples of all nations, but we could probably break up that that job of discipleship into two subparts: evangelism, discipleship. In evangelism, it's this first step of making disciples. And in evangelism, we go to those who are not followers of Jesus and we share with them a simple message. A message about God. The God who created the universe and who created you. God who is holy and righteous and perfect. God who is merciful and loving. Full of grace and goodwill for His creatures. A message about mankind, us who were created in God's image to know Him and to reflect Him and to relate to Him in a loving relationship. But us, mankind, that fell, that sinned against this holy God, that threw off His rightful rule and said, no, we want, we want to do it our way. We want to be the gods. We want to be the kings. We want to be the ones who are to say what is right and what is wrong. Message about judgment, that God judged mankind with the the rightful punishment that our sins deserved. Death, separation from Him, His wrath for eternity. Message about this loving God that didn't leave things that way, though it would be right to judge humankind and that be the end of story, but who lovingly sent His Son, Jesus, to come to earth, to live the perfect life that we never lived, to die on the cross the death of a criminal that our sins deserved, that He didn't deserve. And yet He rose from the dead showing that He had power over sin and death. Rose back to heaven and now offers salvation to any that would turn from their sins and put their trust in Christ. It's a simple message. But it starts there with evangelism, sharing this simple good news about salvation for sin. And then, for those that respond with repentance and faith, it's discipleship. It's training them what it means to live a life in obedience to Christ. We teach them and we show them through our example what it means to live a life of obedience. Discipleship. And regardless of how God has gifted you to build up His church, and He has gifted you, All of us, regardless of whether we have the gift of evangelism, have an opportunity where we are to be evangelists. And we should take that call and run with it. The the second way, well actually, let me give one very specific application while I'm thinking about this. As you think individually about where you are and where God has placed you, let me give you a very, very simple application point. Start today... By thinking through everybody in your life, thinking of one or two people that you would love to become a Christian. Whether it's a family member, whether it's a co-worker. I don't care if they're an atheist. I don't care if they're Muslim. If you think that they are too far from God, no one is too far from God. God does miracles in salvation. He changes hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Think of a person or two that you would love to become your brother or sister in Christ. And start praying for them. Just start praying for them. It's a very simple place to start when we think about evangelism. Start praying. God changes hearts. And He can do it for people in your life. Wouldn't you love to see 
people that you love become your brothers or sisters in Christ, become fellow followers of Christ. Start by praying. And I think you'll find as you pray that your heart will be changed as you think about how you relate to them. And start looking for God to open up doors and opportunities to share the gospel. To use you to share this message. This message has power. God, through His Spirit, will use this message to change people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His blessed Son. The second way we can do this is corporately. As a church. We can obey the Great Commission as a church. How do we do it? Well, several ways. We're doing it right now. Gathering together as a body. Preaching the Gospel. Encouraging each other. We do it through our fellowship as we get together, spend time together. Jesus told His disciples in John 13, 34, and 35 that the love that we have for one another is a light and a witness to those that are around. It says, by the way that you love one another, all will know that you are My disciples. It's a way that you can corporately as a church through your fellowship together, the way that you love one another, you are able to evangelize those that are around. Another practical way that you can do this is by sending out missionaries. The early church in Acts chapter 13 started by sending out missionaries. They said, how, how are we to get this gospel to the nations? Well, the Holy Spirit came and said, set apart from me, Paul, Barnabas, that they might go to the Gentiles. And these missionaries were sent out. The church gave them money, gave them supplies and provisions, and they went and they started preaching the gospel through the nations of Asia. And they came back and they reported back all that God was doing among them. And they went out again with more supplies, more money, more provision. They went again on another trip. They sent more out. They had a bit of a fight and then divided. And then there were two missionary groups that went out. Barnabas took Mark and Paul took Silas and the gospel went out to more nations, to more cities. More people were saved. More churches were gathered. Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to one of the churches that he planted that is now taking part with him in this great commission that he's involved with. And he writes them, the book of Philippians is something of a thank you letter, thanking them for their support. And he has a really funny way of thanking them in chapter 4 by telling them that he never really needed the money that they sent and the supplies that they sent. It's not something that I would encourage you necessarily to do in your thank you cards. Thank you for this gift. I didn't need it, but I'm thankful for it. He says something really interesting there in Philippians 4, 14 and following. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And then he says in verse 15, you... You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help from my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment. And more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And he gives them this promise, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he says about them supporting him on his missionary journeys? 
He says, I, I don't seek the gift. I don't care about the money. What he's excited about is that God is putting credit on their account, their eternal account. Jesus said to pursue riches in heaven. What he's saying is when you give to a missionary who goes and shares the gospel to the nations, takes the gospel to the nations, he uses this word of partnership. You're partnering and giving and receiving. And he says back in chapter 1 that they are partners in the gospel. They send Paul. Paul takes the gospel to the nations. They stay in Philippi and send him supplies. And they both are credited with obeying this great commission. And it says that Paul's credit is put on their account. If you're an accountant, the fruit that Paul sees in sharing the gospel is added to the Philippians' account because they supported him in that work. You, as a church, send out missionaries and you fulfill the Great Commission by supporting those missionaries who are going to the nations. You don't even have to to leave Hacienda Heights. If you send missionaries, you are taking part in taking the gospel to the nations. And God credits you with having obeyed the Great Commission by taking the gospel to the nations that those missionaries go to. And we should desire, as faithful Christians, to do what we can to get the gospel to the nations. Yes, be faithful evangelists here, but we should have this global vision where we want to do what we can to get the gospel to where Christ has not yet been named, to where Christ isn't known. William Carey, the founder of the modern missions movement, as he read his Bible, became convinced as he read texts like the one that we looked at this morning that it was incumbent on the church in every generation to do what we can to get the gospel to the nations. That wasn't popular in his day. There was a pastor that opposed him, a a pastor who said, if God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it himself without your help in mind. Harry became convinced that, well, yes, God is sovereign and he can do anything that he wants, but God uses means. He uses people to get this message. He uses messengers. And he thought, I can be such a messenger. And so he went. And he also became a great encourager of fellow missionaries to take up this call and go to nations that do not know Christ. And he became well-known for this motto that he said as he preached and encouraged people to go. This is it. Very simple motto. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. We expect God to do great things and then we attempt to do great things to be a part of that, of that great work that God is doing. We want to be a part of it. We don't want to just sit back and assume someone else is going to do it. God is going to use someone else. No, we want to be a part of it. Let me leave you with one final verse. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 11. A, a final verse that I think is helpful for us as we think about obeying this call to evangelize. Obeying this call for missions. It's a funny verse. 
It's a verse that took me a while to get my head around. Paul is encouraging the Thessalonican church, and he says this. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that our God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Now, when you pray, what kinds of things do you pray for? What kinds of ways do you pray? I'm um, often praying very theologically true prayers like, Father, your will be done. At least I know that God is going to answer those prayers, right? Please do your will. (laughs) It's theologically true, but I'm not really asking God for anything specific. Paul here prays a very interesting specific prayer. He prays that God would fulfill every resolve for good that the Thessalonians have and every work of faith that they have. What does that mean? Well, yes, God is going to fulfill his will and he is going to do his will. But Paul prays not just that God's will would be done, but that as the, as the Thessalonican Christians make God's will their will, and as they stop making excuses but start strategizing of ways to be used by God in His work, in His plans, that God would fulfill their purposes, which are inside of His purposes. That as they think up strategies, how can I be used by you, God? How can I be used by you to to preach the gospel, to get the gospel to the nations, as they come up with strategies of of getting the gospel to the nations, that God would fulfill their purposes, that he would answer their prayers, and that they would be used of him in his command to make disciples of all nations. Let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, to stop making excuses and to start thinking up, dreaming up strategies of how God might use you to preach this gospel to those around you and to get this gospel to to the nations. Places where it is not known. John Piper said about the Great Commission, there are three things that we can do with the Great Commission. We can... Go to the nation. Go. We can send those that go. It's a second option. Or we can be disobedient. We encourage you to obey this great commission personally and corporately. Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these commands. Thank you that your commands are not burdensome, but they are the delight of your people to do. We pray that your Spirit would be encouraging us in this task. We pray that your Spirit would be um, putting on our minds and hearts people that, that you would use us to reach. That you would be fulfilling our purposes as we seek to do your will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.